The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What prompted you to get cigars for the guys and kind of walk us through the kind of purchasing process and why you did all that? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I just knew it would be a special day for us and have to make sure we had some things ready to uh, spark up and celebrate after a big win. The cigars that I got for everybody is my favorite, specifically called Drew Estates. And um, I think the last one, last time I didn't have one at the uh, game we clinched. You know, we probably aren't supposed to be here. We're probably not a very good football team. We're the, out of 14 teams I think are in, we're probably number 14. Um, we're a double-digit underdog in the playoffs. So let's just go play and have fun and see what happens. Choices up to Steve and I to make the right choices going forward to earn back their trust, and that is not going to be an overnight process. That's going to take uh, that's going to take some time. But where'd you get that sweatshirt? Uh, so what's the origin of it? Uh, the players had uh, something that the players did for, uh, a couple of years ago. Fire up the Kenny Loggins. Woo! <laughs> now, now, as 1980s films go, we know that you are an anti-connoisseur of films from the 1980s. So, as we say good afternoon to Miles Simmons, welcome in, Wednesday edition of PFTPM. Have you seen Top Gun? Absolutely not. Yeah. I'm not surprised. You haven't seen Back to the Future. <laughs> you haven't seen Top Gun. I think there are others that I've long since forgotten that you haven't seen from the 80s. I just assume any movie from the 80s that was halfway decent you didn't see. Have you seen Ferris Bueller? No. My God. See, I think you're just messing with me now. <laughs> I'm not. I'm bad I'm really Santa, not. and you're Thurman Merman. And, and next I ask you if somebody dropped you on your head and you say, on my head, how would they drop me onto my own head? That's kind of where we are. Okay. You're messing I mean, with I like me. Star Wars? No, I'm, I'm really not. I like. That's Star not a. Wars. That's an. That's a '70s movie, not '80s. But, but, you just no, like the, are the ignoring are the, the decade 80s. of the '80s. I'm not. The final two were in the '80s. I'm pretty sure. Not that I was alive, but I've seen episode five and episode six many times. I just watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark a couple weeks ago. Harrison Ford, big Harrison Ford guy. So I mean, it's not that I'm totally anti-80s. Uh, just not uh, not the most popular ones. Just I've never seen them. Top Gun is really underrated. One of those that my friends just uh, they kill me for that I've never seen. Underrated Harrison Ford movie from the eighties. Working Girl. Melanie Griffith. Harrison Ford. A very young Alec Baldwin in a supporting role. Oh. Who else is in that? Other people are in it as well. It's not just the three of them. I'm confident of that. Uh, another okay. one that you haven't seen and likely will never see. All right. Probably no one is seeing this show right now because they've turned it off because they tuned in not to hear about Miles boycotting all fine cinema from the 1980s, but they want to hear about football. Let's get to the football. A guy who probably has seen a few 80s movies, a guy who, if my math is correct, and it rarely is, was born in the 80s, Aaron Rodgers, broken toe, pinky toe, fractured 
He has an optimistic report that he shared earlier today in his bi-week press conference. Here he is. Uh, I haven't taken one in, in a number of weeks now, Rob. So uh, that's been the most encouraging thing. So got through last week uh, without uh, without doing one. Um, you know, it was just a you know pretty standard shot uh, in the uh, in the toe, very painful, um, but uh, numbing uh, numbing agent. Um, so that helped me get through the games. The whole goal was to be able to not have to do that, and. Uh, you know, spent a few games now without without doing that, so I'm feeling feeling good. Practice today, uh, close to 100. percent I think I should be 100 percent probably by uh, by next week. As I often do, I bungled the throw. He was talking about not having a painkiller. I could have had some fun in setting that up because he you wasn't know, specific. Have... It was very genetic. I could have said anything. I could have said. I think I said genetic instead of generic. They know. You know who we mean. Anyway, this will lose survived to the 5 o'clock show. I've really got to the point where I don't care anymore about the 5 o'clock show, and it shows oh, in thanks. my preparation, in my execution, huh. and in my selection of co-hosts. I've given <laughs> yeah, up. that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I guess you don't <laughs> since I'm here all the time. <laughs> uh, so, hey, he, he, he's been an open book about his health as he reserves the right to piss and moan about anyone disclosing information regarding his health. He'll say everything and get mad at anyone else who says anything. We don't need anyone to say anything. He's been as transparent as he possibly can be about his broken toe up to and including removing his sock and displaying the toe several weeks back. But this is what he was trying to, to get to, Miles, the point where it had an opportunity to heal without a setback, without some 300-pound guy stepping on it, accidentally or otherwise and now he's he's hopeful optimistic will be 100 percent one of the benefits of the buy one buy per conference and if you have a starting quarterback who's a little banged up that that week off helps him get to 100 percent yeah it's huge and i mean we were talking about this a couple weeks ago once they clinched the buy like they really didn't have to play aaron Rodgers in that game uh, against the Detroit Lions last week, but they did for a half. And then Jordan Love got some playing time and got a little bit of experience in the second half. But, you know, when you look at it, it's not like that fractured toe was really affecting Aaron Rodgers all that negatively. I mean, this is something that's been impacting him since he got back off the COVID list in the middle of November. And yet he still completed 70% of his passes, was thrown for over 2,200 yards, 20 touchdowns, just one interception in those eight games. And that one interception, came in his first game back uh, that 17 to zero when they had over the Seahawks. So yeah, I mean, now that he's totally hundred percent, Oh, everybody look out. Cause yeah, Aaron Rodgers is going to be Aaron Rodgers, And that's obviously a dangerous team in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. But, but as we enter the playoffs, there is a vibe that anything can happen. Setting aside the possibility that lightning can strike at any given time and knock a key player out with COVID other than Aaron Rodgers, at least until two days after the NFC Championship, because he can't be tested until then. He has the 90-day break after his last positive, but you could have a key player out. The home field advantage has basically evaporated the past couple of seasons. Even this year with fans back in the buildings, road teams have learned how to win away from home, which makes it less advantageous to have home field advantage in the playoffs. I really think we could see... A lot of road teams be very competitive. And even the Packers with that one seed, if they get the 49ers or the Buccaneers, 
I, I, I don't care that they're playing at Lambeau Field. They're going to have their hands full with the 49ers and the Buccaneers. And you could argue maybe the Rams, although I, I'm not, not nearly as concerned if I'm a Packers fan about the Rams, Cardinals, as I am about the 49ers and Buccaneers. The Cowboys, I'm not quite sure how to feel about them. I'm not sure that that show is going to play well at Lambeau. It's just intriguing that Mike McCarthy would be going back there, and he knows a thing or two about Aaron Rodgers, but Rodgers knows a thing or two about him. But even even as the one seed, the benefit is the rest. Having the home games, having one less game is helpful. It's one less flip of the coin where you could lose. But even with those two home games to get to the Super Bowl, it doesn't feel as inevitable as it has in the past, as evidenced by the fact that the Packers weren't able to close the deal last year with the one seed, Miles. Well, right. And I mean, they had that first round by even back in 2019. And then, you know, they end up going to uh, San Fran or San Jose or Santa Clara, wherever you want to call it as a case. One of the Sands. Yeah. yeah, One of the Sands. The sold. I can tell you don't live in California. I know, right? Well, it's so funny because I lived up there at that time, right? But like the funny thing about where the San Francisco 49ers play is that it was much closer to Oakland and the freaking facility for the Oakland Raiders than it was to, you know, San Francisco and like where uh, the baseball stadium is. I don't know what they call that thing anymore in Chase Arena. So anyway, the the point is that even when you have the first round by, things can happen. Yes, you don't necessarily just always make it to the Super Bowl because you have those different types of things. But I think being the one seed and having the only buy in the conference definitely helps at this point because that's something, especially when you have a quarterback who's banged up, as you were just saying, Mike, they get some more rest. And Zadarius Smith, he's coming back and he's going to start practicing this week. So that gives him a little more time to get acclimated as well before he goes out there and helps that pass rush. Yeah, what a difference he can make, too, if he's healthy and able to perform at a high level. But we know that the Packers are prone to unexpected lapses. They fell into that 28-10 yeah. to 10 hole against the Buccaneers last year, almost pulled it off. And you just wonder whether those those vibes will creep back in when you have so much riding on the outcome of a game. You feel legacies on the line. You, you feel like you're wasting all the work you've put in. And, and, and that's why, you know, we we'll talk about it at some point before the weekend. That That's why a team like the Steelers can be dangerous because they, they can just take a, we aren't supposed to be here. Screw it. Who cares? You don't feel tight. You don't feel tense. You don't feel like it's a it's a huge deal if for some reason you stub your toe after having a special season. Steelers really didn't have a special season, but for some reason they're still hanging around. The Giants are still hanging around, but they are in the process of trying to find now both a new GM and a head coach. John Mara, and correct me if this is wrong, I've seen bits and pieces of this, and it really doesn't okay. surprise me. It fits with my overall theory about John Mara's approach. He wants to make the stew, but he wants someone else to take the blame for it. So he wants a GM or a head coach who's basically a pincushion, the way Roger Goodell's a pincushion for John Mara, the owner and the one of the people in charge of the NFL. He wants to have pincushions who will take the blame. He doesn't want to be the one who's lampooned on the back pages of the tabloids. And so today, with no GM, with no head coach, he has a press conference that they didn't stream on Giants.com. They wouldn't let WFAN broadcast it. They let the reporters ask Network one question live. each. Yeah. Oh, it was on NFL Network? It was? Not live. They, it was not, it was live, not so. live. They did it tape yeah. delay. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, here's some of, some of, some, apparently we had a spy in the room who was able to record some of the super secret John Mara press conference today. Here it is. Watch it because the, sa- the, the tape will self-destruct as soon as the clip is over. I can't say there was one specific uh, act that was the last straw. It was just a culmination of things. Um, uh, we, we just got to a point where I, I, where I thought we had dug ourselves a hole so deep that I didn't see a clear path to getting out of it unless we completely blew it up and, and started all over again with a new general manager and a new head coach. Um, I still think that there is a really good head coach inside of Joe Judge. I just felt like given where we are right now uh, on the verge of bringing in a new general manager, we have to give that person um, the flexibility uh, to bring in the head coach that, uh, that, that he wants. And I, I think that's, that was a large part of the decision here in, in, making a, in making a change. I just felt like we really needed to just start from the, from, from the ground up again. That tells me they were going to have a hard time hiring a high-end general manager. They were going to have to. And they, they, look, sometimes it, it takes a little while for people to realize that what they were trying to do wasn't going to work. What they were trying to do was handpick a general manager who would have been content, who would have been happy, who would have had no problem keeping Joe Judge's head coach. And I think they realized that the universe of people who fell into that category of competent GM would have kept Joe Judge's head coach was shrinking, not growing in light of what we had seen and heard from Joe Judge over the past couple of weeks. And this is a guy who was not thriving under pressure. Stress was not drawing the inner Vince Lombardi out of Joe Judge. It got worse. It got embarrassing. And look, look, if they really want to blow it up, if they really want to blow it up, they're not going far enough. If they really want to blow it up, everybody in the organization that is either named John Mara or related to him by blood or marriage needs to step aside. Get out. Chris Mara, get out. Nephew, whose name I forget, get out. You're not qualified to run a football team. You're not qualified to pick players. You think you are, but you're not. And that's been the common thread with the Giants in recent years. You got ownership that thinks they know what they're doing. They don't. They don't. The Cowboys, Joneses, they figured it out. And you know what? To their credit, they stand out there and say, we're running the show. The Maras, they're pulling the strings behind the scenes. They don't know what they're doing. And the proof is in the last decade. Oh, but we have two Super Bowls. Well, you know what? You won those despite your skills, abilities, or lack thereof. You don't know what you're doing. Your roster is crap. And I almost said the other word. But that's one of the problems. Why are they churning coaches every two years? Because their roster sucks. Their players suck. It's hard to be a good coach when your players suck. Their players suck, and the mayors are part of the problem. And I don't care if they get upset with me. You want to blow it up and you want to start over? Bye-bye. Leave or sell the team. Either way, if I'm a Giants fan, I'm at the front of the line saying I'm done with his team until everyone named Mara is out of the operation or they sell the team. I don't know why I care. See, I'm all upset again. Like on behalf of these fan bases. What's going on, man? You're just, whoa. I don't care. What happened? But, But... (laughs) <laughs> I, because here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is, I, this is what I love and hate about the National Football League. Okay. I love the fact that you've got, and I said this earlier today, billion-dollar football organizations that are ultimately run by monarchies. 
They are run mm-hmm. by families who just pass the equity from generation to generation. You know what happens when you do that? Sooner or later, there's a generation that's like, I don't know what the hell to do with this, but what choice do I have? It's a family business, right? And we're making, we're, we're making money hand over fist. That's the other side of it. It really doesn't matter if the, the roster sucks. It really doesn't matter if they don't get much better. They're still going to make more money than they spend. It's a profitable enterprise, even if your team isn't any good. That's the dirty little secret they never want us to really talk about, but it's the truth. But it infuriates me because after 20 years of being in it, but not really in it, after 20 years of learning and understanding and talking to people and having an idea of how things work, it drives me nuts that there are people that own these teams that have no idea how things work. If an idiot like me can figure out in 20 years how it works, how are these people who have somehow amassed and maintained fortunes, how are they not able to learn the same basic fundamental rules that I have over the last 20 years because I'm not dealing with a full deck and I've figured it out. And yes, I would love, I would love nothing more than to have $10 billion and buy one of these teams and run it into the ground to prove myself completely wrong. It's very easy for me to say it when I don't have to run a team. But the incompetence that I see, it's, it's, it's jarring to me. And, and this is the week that it's on display. This is when the dysfunctional teams step front and center. Bears, Dolphins, Giants, and they basically show us their warts, their ass, that everything that we don't want to see, this is the week we get to see how bad they are and why they are, who they are and what they are, and it just pisses me off because it shouldn't be that way. Every fan base should at least have a basic functioning ownership that either knows what to do to help or what not to do to help. And if the answer is get out of the way, then get out of the way. Maris, on behalf of all Giants fans, I implore you, get out of the way. Do I get to speak now or are you good? I don't, I just don't want to start because you might, I like, you were going, man. Like, I don't know. I I stopped for you. Okay. Go. Well, great. No, no, thank you. I mean, that was pretty uh, epic right there. But, uh, you know, one thing that I would give John Mayer credit for in that press conference, which actually they did uh, put up on YouTube once, I guess, it had been approved by, you know, the right <laughs> approval decision makers. <laughs> so whatever it was. So I got to see some, I guess, some of the answers, if not all of them. But he was saying that, you know, I haven't given fans any reason to believe that we're going to get this right this time, which, you know, I give him a little bit of credit for that. He really hasn't, especially with these last few regimes that just really have not been very good. But The other thing that he talked about, and this is basically gets to the heart of what you were saying, is he really seemed to take issue with the suggestion that his family, you know, himself and the other members of the family that are really heavily involved in the Giants organization need to get out of the way. It's basically as if he was saying that, you know, I'm, I don't believe in nepotism or like there's no, you know, nepotism. Oh God, give me a break. I know, Mike, but that's what he said. It's basically what he said. And he didn't say that verbatim, but that's really what he was talking about because he didn't like these questions that kept coming up about like, well, why is Chris Mayer in the room if he's not really one of these big decision makers? And he's like, well, he's in the room because I trust him. And then he goes, oh, well, for whatever reason, you guys just keep asking me about this. And it's a media creation that we're in the way and all of this. So that would basically be his response to what you're saying is that everybody who is in the family that is also in the organization has worked their way up. All right. So 
Whether that's true, whether, you know, they can be trusted talent evaluators, that's maybe not for me to decide. I mean, I think the proof is in the pudding right now that the Giants not been a very good organization, you know, and not been really good at winning football games in a while. So that, I guess, is the proof right there. The, the, here's the reality. Now, and, and I think this is one of the reasons why nepotism is so rampant in coaching in the NFL. And there are various reasons for it. And Kalen Kaler of Defector had a great item about it recently yeah. that I've been flagging and wanting to write about at PFT. There's a chapter about it, by the way, in Playmakers, a, an advanced copy of which Miles has. And I'm sure he's read the nepotism chapter. But one of the reasons for nepotism is dads are absentees when their their kids are growing up. And they're, they're never around. So when kid grows up and decides to get into coaching, it's a great way to make up for lost time because you saw all of a sudden you're spending 20 hours a day together. But one of the other reasons I think nepotism happens among coaches, it necessarily happens among ownership. But it's okay if it happens among ownership as it relates to owning the team because somebody in the family's got to run the thing. Somebody in the family's got to run it. This is a business that has been created, purchased, whatever, by one person in the family, and that person's eventually going to die and if it's going to stay in the family, somebody else has to step up. But there's a line you don't want to cross when you start throwing out titles that aren't warranted. And to the extent John Mara is going to say we don't have undue influence over personnel, his brother Chris's title is Senior Vice President, comma, Player Personnel. How right. can you say that you don't have undue influence over Player Personnel when your brother is the senior vice president of player personnel, and your nephew, Tim McDonnell, is the co-director of player personnel, along with Mark Kantz, who's been doing this forever and is a real football person, not somebody who just happened to be born to the right family at the right time and grew up and realized, hey, we own a football team. It's kind of cool. I kind of like it. It's more fun than working for a living. I play Madden. I think I can figure this out. So what he uh, it's infuriating. Like it's infuriating. Work their way up. I, I know. And it is infuriating. But like that, the, the response to what you just said, and that was really asked in that presser, was those guys all worked their way up and they don't have undue influence, even though as Baloney. you were just saying, like, I, I know, I know, but I'm just telling you what he said in response to it. I, you know, just to. Oh, I know. I'm not, I'm not saying you're lying to me. I'm not saying you're lying to me. <laughs> I don't think I think you're just you know on one about the whole situation today so I don't know I just it's I, it is what it is but like as you're saying you know these billionaires they come into these teams and some of them figure out they don't want to do it like with the Browns and Randy Lerner he was so incompetent and yet he kept that team for so long right until he sold it to Jimmy Haslam who also was pretty incompetent until they finally kind of got it right here it seems like at least in terms of competence and football knowledge with Andrew Berry and Kevin Stefanski but like it just I think to your point it, it's just that you know like somebody's got a run this thing but it depends on can you be the kind of person who runs it but also understands that football people have to actually be decision makers and have the most influence on what the football decisions are because they know what they're doing and you probably don't Here, here's the best example i can think of and it's not very good but i'm going to use it anyway because it popped into my head that's your okay. show Owning a football team or, you know, operating a TV show, you, you have a lot of leeway, you have a lot of discretion. There's a lot of stuff you can do. For example, if you reach a certain amount of financial wealth, you can go buy a Ferrari and it's your Ferrari and you can do whatever the hell you please 
to that Ferrari. You can run it on a track. You can take it on rocky terrain. You can run it into the ground. You can put cheap gasoline in it. You can not replace the windshield wipers when they need to be replaced. You can you can screw up the clutch if you want to. It's your it's your car. You can do whatever the hell you want to it. It's your prerogative. And and a football team is like a Ferrari. But the difference is the Ferrari that is the football team is the pride and is the rallying point for thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in your community and beyond. It carries the name of the community. So to me, there is a much more sacred bond and responsibility than to say, hey, you know what? I own this thing. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do to it. No, no. And that's what upsets me, because I believe every fan base in the National Football League deserves to have owners who will not treat the team like the Ferrari that they've decided to run into the ground, because they can. They need to understand they've got a greater obligation to their fans, to their communities, to not run the team like a bunch of morons, to not do the things they're not capable of doing just because they can. Why are you doing it? Because you can. Hey, you know what? If Chris Mara is such a good personnel evaluator, why aren't the Bears calling and, uh, and asking uh, for permission to interview him to be the general manager of the team? Seriously, wh- why aren't other teams hiring these folks if they're so good at what they do? Because there's only one team that will give them the opportunity, the team that they own. That's what upsets me, whether it's Stephen Ross treating the Dolphins just like a trophy that he, that he keeps next to his super yacht if he has one, and I assume he does. And, and this, I just think that the, the obligation is so much greater than that because, because, Miles, and this gets back to the point I made a little while ago, it's a profitable business no matter what you do. You have to try. It's Brewster's Millions, another great movie from the 80s, and I'm sure Miles hasn't seen. You have to try to not make money with an NFL team, and you still are going to make money even if you try not to make money. So it just, it, this is what pisses me off because every team, every fan of every team should have a real chance every year. And what we see at the end of the season on display are the flaws in the owners who either choose to drive the Ferrari into the ground, have no idea how to drive the Ferrari, but are going to do it anyway, or just otherwise are going to screw everything up. And, and the folks who pay for it are the ones who care deeply about their teams. So that, that's what bugs me, if you can't tell. I know I could tell uh, you seemed very bothered this segment. We didn't get to a lot of stuff. I, I have, I have, <laughs> I'll tell you how far off the chain we've gotten today. I was just told maybe we should take a break and figure out what we're going to do next. Uh, and maybe we should let's yeah. take a break and we're going to figure out during the break, what we're going to do next. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. I'm going to go drive my Ferrari. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. It's similar to the twice, but look, I think the big thing anytime you play a team a second or third time or whatever it is, it's it's a new game. We're starting starting from scratch, and don't don't think or assume that the game is going to go like another one did. 
um, be ready to you know play it out and play it as you see it and make the necessary adjustments and decisions that come up in this game and uh, whatever happened in some other game don't happen I mean maybe we learned something from that but you know we have to we have to play this game as it as it plays out and it'll be it'll be different than any other game so as long as we're ready to do that I think we'll be okay there's a lot of wisdom in that. I mean, you put in your preparation, you have your plan, but once you start playing, everything changes. You have to be ready. You have to be flexible. You have to be able to figure out what they're doing to you, and you have to zig when they zag. You're either trying to set them up or you're trying to figure out where they're trying to set you up, and weather is a factor when they last played these two teams, Patriots and Bills, in Buffalo. It was very cold. It was very windy. And the Patriots use that to their advantage. It's going to be cold again. I don't know how windy it's going to be when they play on Saturday night, but that could be to the advantage of the New England Patriots. But they're one and one, each one on the road. And and this is what you want. You want that rubber match. You want that third round, and they split. And they, they, they won away from home. It just makes it feel like anything can happen. The Bills, the better team when you just look at the talent on the field, arguably. But the Patriots have Bill Belichick, who – is as capable as anyone has ever been at adapting, adjusting, and realigning his approach on the fly miles. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, it's what he's, he said that you don't necessarily go back on, you know, what happened before, but when you're Bill Belichick, there's not really many situations that you haven't been in over the course of your very, very long career, especially there with the new England Patriots. But if you look at it, there just aren't many data points for him having to face a divisional opponent for a third time. I mean, he's only done it twice before, and that was against the New York Jets. Well, he beat them in 2006 in the wild card round. And then in 2010, there was that game where, you know, Bart Scott was like, can't wait after it. And they lost um, to the New York Jets at that point too. And they were at home. So it's not like we have, we've seen the AFC East be that competitive, you know, with the New England Patriots all that much over the course of the last 20 plus years. So this is going to be a new situation pretty much. It's going to be one that's really interesting because kind of like you said, look, I'll take Bill Belichick and thinking of him making all the proper adjustments over anybody else in the league. But I mean, in terms of quarterbacks and receivers right now, I mean, I'm taking the lead from Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. Cause like I've always said, like those two just seem like they're a match made in football heaven. And when they're right, Man, they are hard to beat. But, you know, with Bill Belichick, I'm sure they could. Rookie quarterback Mac Jones getting his first taste of the NFL playoffs. Let's hear a little bit from him as he gets ready for a postseason road game in western New York. You know, it is another game, but there is more at stake. And you have to to realize that, you know, there's not a lot of room for error. And um, that's kind of what makes it fun. It's more pressure. And um, like I said, you prepare well, you feel comfortable. And then at that point, you go play the game um, that you've played since you were little. It is a ton of pressure. The, I mean, he's, he seems very excited about what's coming. Uh, but, but, I, I want to 
love to go you know, back and see like pressers from Mac Jones, maybe when he was at Alabama or like at the beginning of when he got to the Patriots and just like compare him to now where he just is like, I am a robot. Uh, it is going to be very fun to go play in the playoffs. And I'm sure Bill Belichick just loves it. Kind of suck the life out of him in these pressers. The, the, the Stepford Patriots, the transition for Mac Jones has completed. <laughs> he's exactly what Bill Belichick wants, but that that's what he's been. He's been a football robot. And that's what they're going to need. They need somebody to go out there and execute the plan that Bill Belichick comes up with as the game unfolds, as the circumstances change, and whatever it is that they need. They don't want to have any human emotions, dynamics, realities, thoughts, whatever, get in the way of the the players executing exactly what the coaches want them to do. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the expectation really is for the Patriots. A few weeks ago, it felt like to me they were going to make it to the Super Bowl. Now, I really don't know. They are dangerous with Bill Belichick. I just don't know. Where where I changed on the the Patriots, Miles, um, the Colts game, and then the Bills game, the two that they lost Mm -hmm. after they beat the Bills and had a week off, because that was the first time I thought that this team, from a talent standpoint, even though we know the Belichick approach by now, take away what the other team does best, he can come up with the plan to do it, but he doesn't have the players to actually make it happen. They weren't able Mm -hmm. to take away Jonathan Taylor. They weren't able to take away Josh Allen when the conditions were more conducive to Allen throwing the ball. So that's what I wonder. Can they take away what the opponent that they'll be facing this round and beyond if they pass through does best? Yeah, that that game with Jonathan Taylor really running all over them, especially there at the end, it really kind of surprised me because I just, I mean, I've been saying it for basically two weeks because the Patriots, Patriots, you know, had their bye week at that point. That, like, yeah, the the Colts are going to get stopped by the Patriots. Like that kind of, to me, was where the buck was kind of going to be. Like, all right, well, maybe we need to stop talking about Jonathan Taylor as an MVP. Little did I know it would take until the last two weeks of the season for the Colts season to completely go off the rails. But off the rails, it finally went. So I think it is interesting. Can Bill Belichick actually take away what the Bills do best? I, it's going to be interesting to see because. I mean, as you're basically just saying, at their best, the Bills with Josh Allen probably have more talent than the Patriots defense does, right? So if that plan is not necessarily good enough, you know, if the conditions don't make it, you know, so non-conducive to throw, even though Josh Allen can get the dang ball off his arm and like like a freaking rocket and he can throw it through the wind it can cut through the wind so it's just supposed to be cold i don't think the wind is supposed to be as bad as it was in that earlier matchup either way we'll see what happens well and even if the wind is the way that it was it took them a half to figure out they should just let josh allen throw through the wind anyway that he can do it if they had done it earlier they would have won that game when they got together for the first time all right i mentioned this earlier before i had my little giants Mara-induced meltdown. The Steelers, very different (laughs) vibe altogether for them in the postseason. I sensed it yesterday from Mike Tomlin when he met with reporters, talked about falling asleep during the Chargers-Raiders game on which the Steelers' playoff fate rested. And there was a looseness to Tomlin, a relaxation to Tomlin. And this, this is playoff week you're supposed to be stressed you're supposed to be uptight you're supposed to feel the weight of the world on your shoulders well when you're not even supposed to be in the playoffs it's a little easier to be loose and relaxed here's Ben Roethlisberger who very well could be playing his last football game ever 
on Sunday night in Kansas City talking about his team's prospects of going back to a place where they were blown out last month and trying to pull off a win. You know, I would assume as a group you understand that, you know, we probably aren't supposed to be here. We're probably not a very good football team. We're the, out of 14 teams I think are in, we're probably number 14. Um, we're a double-digit underdog in the playoffs. So let's just go play and have fun and see what happens. I mean, we're probably 20-point underdogs, and we're going to the number one, te- the number one team that's, I know they're not the number one team, but they're the number one team that's won the AFC the last two years, um, arguably the best team in football. Um, we don't have a chance. So let's just go in and play and have fun. That's exactly the right attitude, and that can be so dangerous in the playoffs. And Sims and I have been talking about this in the mornings because he is absolutely convinced the Steelers don't have a chance, and I'm not so sure. And I have to access that part of me that has lived within 100 miles of Pittsburgh basically my entire life. I know this team. I know what makes them tick. I know how their buttons get pressed, and I know how they are in situations where there are no expectations. And it doesn't happen very often that you get the Steelers in the playoffs where they're a team that you're like, what the hell are they doing here? They stink. 2005, I remember that vividly. They were left for dead after they lost to the Bengals. The Bengals were taking over the division, and then the Bears came to town on a snowy Sunday in December, and the Steelers won that game, and then they won another game. And before you know it, they they won out, and they ended up stealing the sixth spot, and they 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 had the same vibe. And other people say, well, they were 15 to one the year before. But it didn't matter. They they were dead. They were done. It was over in December of 2005. They ended up getting a ticket to the postseason. And they went to Cincinnati. That was the game where Kimo von Olhoffen hit Carson Palmer oh, low Carson on the Palmer, first yeah. snap from scrimmage and tore up his ACL back when that was a legal hit. Chris Henry made the catch. He suffered an injury on the back end of it. Steelers won that game. Then they went to Indianapolis and beat the Colts, who were the best team in football that year. They stunned the Indianapolis Colts. And then they went to Denver and they won that game. And then they went to Seattle or Seattle. They went to De- uh, Detroit and beat Seattle in the Super Bowl. Um, so I-, I can't forget that. And, and I, I, if I was the Chiefs right now, I'd be scared you-know-whatless over the possibility of a Steelers team coming in very loose, very nonchalant, accepting of their expected fate, and if they catch us with an uppercut when we're not looking early, all of a sudden it's not going to be 36-10. to 10. Chiefs could still win, but it's not going to be like it was when they got together last month. Uh, you know, this makes me think of the lyrics of Renegade, right? Oh, mama, I'm in fear of my life from the long arm of the law, you know? It could be Ben Roethlisberger. He's coming in there, and I feel like you're right. Like, they're loose. They just understand that, like, look, if we're going to go and if we're going to do something, let's at least have fun with it. You know, let's go out there. Let's just be ourselves. Let's do what we have to do. And if we, if we do that, we can win. But, you know, like, I, I'm pretty sure that Ben Roethlisberger is kind of parroting the, the vibe, or probably with the message of the team that Mike Tomlin was giving when he's, you know, in the press or saying like, hey, I mean, we don't have a chance, right? Everybody says we suck and we can't win any games. You know, Tom Brady said that a couple years ago. But like, that's basically what they're saying. And they're kind of using that as fuel. And it's like, hey, if we're going to go, why not do our best? Why not win? Why not just have fun? And I, I agree with you. That makes them, that makes them dangerous. You know, especially for a Kansas City team that at times this year has played really tight, right? They, they just lost a couple of weeks ago to the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, I don't know how far the Chiefs are really going to be able to go in this postseason anyway, 
But it wouldn't stun me if the Steelers get what we were talking about a few weeks ago when they were playing the Titans, one of those program wins. It could be that this week in, in uh, Kansas City for sure. I didn't think the Steelers were capable of doing it on the road this year. But when they won in Baltimore on Sunday, that's when I thought they can take this show on the road and be competitive in the playoffs. And that's all you want to be. Anything can happen. Tyree Kill was hobbling around with that heel injury, and I know they've downplayed it, but who knows? And you got T.J. Watt chasing around Patrick Mahomes. And, and it, you know, right. What happened two weeks ago? Well, it wasn't even two weeks ago. It was nine, nine days ago in Pittsburgh. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the game against the Browns. Look, that, oh. that was a magical night that, you know, some of that gets bottled into the players, I think. I, I, think, I think when you're part of that and you feel that, when the game becomes bigger than the X's and O's, and you feel that collective pride and love and connection to the city. It's what I was talking about earlier. It's why it pisses me off when owners don't know how to properly run their oh, teams. Oh, no, because here we go again. Can- no, I'm not getting all <laughs> cranked up. But, but this, this is the good side of it. This is oh, why okay. we never are talking about the Steelers this week of the year when it comes to looking for new coaches. We only talk about the Steelers this week of the year when it comes to them getting ready for the next playoff game. But they have a connection to that city like no other. And after what happened last Monday night, man, I'm t- I'm... tomorrow we make our picks on the PFTPM Chris Sims Unbuttoned Joint Mega Picks podcast. And I think you can you tell where I'm leaning. You going to do it? Ooh, all, all right. right. Upset Central. Right. And you know what? You know what's going to happen? We have, that, we have that game. Yeah. So, so when it's time for everybody to make their picks on Sunday night, I may be the lone wolf. I, I don't know. I don't know. Is Coach Dungey with network? me on this? Have I, have I, have I, have I convinced him? Have I, I, uh, we, I'll, I'll call Rich and he'll let me borrow the hat. They're not on Sunday <laughs> yeah. night. Maybe he'll send me the hat. Um, but but uh, I, 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 uh, I don't know. I don't know. I look at it this way, too. I look at it this way. If you call your shot on something like this and you're wrong, who cares? If you yeah. call your shot like this on something like this and you're right. Oh, it's good. At, at least at least I'll remember it for a day or two. At least for a day or two. <laughs> and they'll put uh, you up on watch. social media, Mike. You know? And, and like, watch, hey. watch. <laughs> I'll pick I'll pick the Steelers hey, and they'll lose forty two to ten. Yeah. Um yeah. But, you know, last year last year I, I think about what the Browns did. The Browns is the Browns mm-hmm. game. I think about that. Who would have saw that coming? You would have, you would have been nuts face. if you'd have said the Browns were going to win that game. Nuts. Yeah. And you know what? The fact that the Steelers were on the other end of that is another factor that favors, in my mind, the Steelers. Because they've, they've just seen a year ago how it can happen when it's completely unexpected and what it takes to make it happen. It's a matter of catching them, not looking early. You jump on them early. Yes. And yes. all of a sudden, you've burst their bubble, and it's not going to be easy. Because you're thinking, and I don't care. You know, these are guys in their 20s. They're thinking it's going to be easy. They're not very good. We just kicked the crap out of this team. They're not very good. You you disabuse them of that notion early in the game. It changes everything. I'm, I got one more night to sleep on it. Uh, all right.
The only thing I would counter that with is Andy Reid is the Kansas City head coach. You know, and, you know, I guess the thing happened to Mike Tomlin, and I would say good things about Mike Tomlin too. But I just – I don't think that Kansas City is going to come in there taking Pittsburgh lightly. I I, I just don't, based on what we know about Andy Reid and how he's been a head coach in this league for for so long. Well, I think that he will do his damnedest to get his players not to take Pittsburgh lightly, but that doesn't mean that there won't be some guys who do. I think that's that's True. the challenge. But Kansas City also has Patrick Mahomes, and you know, frankly, I'll take Patrick Mahomes co- trying to come back over you know twenty twenty Ben Roethlisberger trying to come back in that situation too. I, I I don't disagree with that. All right, Jimmy Garoppolo trying to come back from his thumb injury. He said it was sore after Sunday's win over the Rams, but he's feeling better now. Hey, I, I made this comment. I think in the power rankings, he's just good enough to get them back to the Super Bowl again, and just bad enough to keep them from winning the Super Bowl again. And it won't surprise me if the 49ers get hot. I think they could beat the Cowboys on, what is it, Sunday? Middle, Sunday. middle uh, game. Uh, yeah. I think they could then go to Green Bay if it falls that way and beat the Packers. I think they could make it very interesting for every team they face in the postseason this year. I think the only team they'd probably have trouble with, real trouble with, is maybe Tampa Bay. But even then, that meat grinder running game, if it's clicking and you're, you're only using Jimmy Garoppolo when you have to, not when you want to, and you, and you let him be Bob Greasy, just give him the glasses that Bob Greasy used to wear during football games and, and let him be that guy, uh, you, you can get back to the Super Bowl. I don't know that you can win, but you can get back there. Well, they also have a guy in Nick Boso who really can wreck games, right? And that's something that I think makes them dangerous, at least defensively. But yeah, I mean, the way they run the football and the way that they're able to use Debo Samuel in both the run and the pass, Elijah Mitchell has done a fantastic job, I think, as a rookie. You know, and you have George Kittle, who is one of the best weapons in the league at tight end. Jimmy Garoppolo can at least deliver the ball to those guys like he did here in L.A. on Sunday. Yeah, they can be a very dangerous team despite being the sixth seed and go into places and win. I I definitely think that they can go and beat the Dallas Cowboys. Let's take a quick break. When we return, some wild card predictions based on odds from our friends at PointsBet. We'll do that when this Wednesday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. Back then, you know, everybody used to laugh at, you know, us on the schedule, you know, be like, oh, we finna play the Bengals, it's the stat week. And now everybody, now it ain't no, it ain't no laughing, ain't no playing and joking no more. They know what's going on. They know how we coming. So um, now, you know, we just got to go ahead and look, you know, forward to taking care of business. Joe Mixon, Bengals running back. He doesn't have to worry about the COVID bug striking him. He's coming off of the list, which means he's good to go for the balance of the postseason. Let's do some wild card predictions. Odds courtesy of points bet. The favorite to cover the spread. The home teams are favored, not surprisingly, in every game. Who's your favorite to at least cover, regardless of whether or not they win? Just cover the spread. Well, speaking of Joe Mixon, I mean, yeah, I, I'm picking the Bengals here. They're five and a half point favorites, and I think they're going to be fresh, and I think they're going to be ready on Sunday. Look, the Raiders had to play 70 minutes on Sunday night football, and now they've got to play the first game of the postseason, which starts at 4:30 Eastern on Saturday, right? And they also have got to go across the country from Vegas to Cincinnati. It's a tall ask 
right? And so I think that based on how good Cincinnati has been, you know, you look at these two different teams and how they played and how they've made it to the postseason. The Raiders are at minus 65 in point differential and minus 14 in net touchdowns. Look at Cincinnati. They're plus 84 and plus 10, right? So I think that Jamar Chase, you know, Higgins, Boyd, Joe Mixon's going to be running there out there. And they've got the king of swag, the dreamy Joe Burrow, all right? And I think Joe Burrow is going to be out there and he's going to know what's going on and he's going to deliver the ball to his playmakers and he's going to have a big day. I think the Bengals cover five and a half easily. Here's my caveat to that. Week one, the Raiders and the Ravens went deep into overtime before the Raiders got the victory. They had to go to Pittsburgh on a short week. And I said the exact same things you said, and the Raiders won that game 26-17. to 17. Sure So but I don't know how I feel. And the, and the Bengals game. Right. The Bengals have a propensity to step on a rake. Just when you think they're good, they, they have one of those moments that become inexplicable in hindsight. And I, the, after that vibe that the Raiders have now, I, I don't know. I, I say the Steelers to cover because 12 and a half is too much. I think if they lose, it's going to be within single digits. I'm not picking them to win yet. I'm just saying 12 and a half is too much. Underdog to flat out win straight up. Who do you have? Uh, give me the 49ers over the Cowboys. As I was just saying in the last segment, I, I just feel like the way the 49ers are playing right now, where they're so physical, they can run the ball really well. I think that that plays, and I think that that travels, especially in the postseason. So, I mean, they are three-point underdogs, but I, regardless of it, I, I really think that they're going to be able to go in there and kind of mess with uh, Dallas, you know, in the way that they play. Nick Bosa getting in there and pressuring Dak Prescott. I, I think the 49ers are going to win. I think the Patriots are the most likely to, to win as a four-point underdog in Buffalo. We talked about it earlier. For all the reasons we've already discussed, I like the Patriots. All right, NFL playoff special. Most playoff points scored by one team. Which of these teams, these 12 teams playing this weekend, scores the most points, Miles? I think it's going to be the Bucks, And they're going against the Eagles. Well, it may not be great, but I still think that Tom Brady, knowing what we know about him and his career, just they're going to be able to score. They got Leonard Fournette coming back. Gio Bernard's also coming back. I just feel like they're going to be able to get into this thing and kind of maybe make it a little bit of a laugher against Philadelphia. I, I'm concerned about the weather, and I'm concerned about the fact that the Eagles have that run-based offense, and they may try to keep Tom Brady on the sidelines and chew up as much clock as they can. That's why I'm going to say the Rams. I think the Rams and the Cardinals get into another shootout, and I think the Rams are going to win that game. So I think the Rams will score the most points of the weekend. I think we're going to take a break. We'll answer some of your questions when this Wednesday edition of PFTPM concludes right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Specifically, this time around, what are you getting out of this bye week? Rest. Rest. I mean, uh, I'm about to go home, and it's what, 12 22? It's pretty freaking sweet. <laughs> 
The week off, the opportunity to get the toe right. Let's get right to the mailbag. Born to run 19. Who do you guys think will be the biggest difference maker on the field in Super Wild Card Weekend? Super duper wild card weekend. Uh, I'll go in the last game. That's Monday night, uh, Cardinals, Rams. I'm going to say Aaron Donald. With the last time these two teams played, uh, Aaron Donald had three sacks and three tackles for loss. Cliff Kingsbury today said that he absolutely wrecked the game. And in these kinds of situations, Aaron Donald tends to play really well. Rams definitely want to get you know that first playoff win at SoFi Stadium. I bet Aaron Donald is going to be great. I I uh. I got, I got to quit harping on the Steelers. I'm, I'm thinking T.J. Water, Najee Harris. You know, I think back to Franco Harris's rookie season and how that was capped. It was capped with the immaculate reception against the then Oakland Raiders. Um, got to get you a terrible title wave right now, man. My I've, goodness. I've got, I've got one. It's right there. I've oh, got one Lord. there, and I've got one over there. I got to get them both. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll say Najee Harris just for just for craps and giggles. Born to run nineteen. Would Jim Caldwell be a good get right coach for one of the struggling organizations looking for a head coach? Tony Dungy has made the big pitch for Caldwell to Jacksonville. Do you agree with that? Uh, I do. I, I think that they certainly need some sort of stability. And the fact that we've seen Jim Caldwell not just win games, but take a team to the Super Bowl before, I think that would be something that they could definitely use. Look, the, the Detroit Lions have not had a winning season since they fired Jim Caldwell in order to bring in Matt Patricia. And Jim Caldwell had them on multiple winning seasons in a row. I mean, they're nine and seven, but that's still a winning season, right? So I think that they could certainly use that kind of credibility, especially given what they just went through with Urban Meyer. I'd be intrigued by him as a Bears coach, too. You get a GM that is willing to entrust the job to Jim Caldwell for as long as he wants to do it. He's in his 60s. It's not a long-term thing, but it stabilizes the team and points you in the right direction. A calming presence at a time when everything it just feels kind of nutty with the Bears. Uh, Cal Craig, do you feel there could be a small chance Tony Dungy would want to be the GM of the Vikings to get us out of hashtag purple purgatory? I, let me take this one first. And, and like, I, I don't, I don't know what he would or wouldn't do. He makes it clear that he's retired. I think Tony Dungy would be an ideal candidate to take over the football operations in Minnesota, be trusted to stay out of the coach's way. You know, guys like Bill Parcells, Tom Coughlin, Mike Holmgren, they can't help themselves when they're in that executive job. Coach Dungy would stay away. He would be that day-to-day presence that has accountability and that, that sets a standard that everyone else in the building would match. If the Vikings want to turn this around, and I hadn't thought of it until just now, Miles, call Tony Dungy, offer him, offer him 10 to $15 million a year to just be the guy in charge of the entire football operations and have the GM and the head coach report to him. You know, we always talk about a team taking on the personality of its head coach. I mean, you can go even further up the ladder in that, right? You know, if you have somebody like Tony Dungy running your football operation, I think it would turn into a competent winning operation that is steady, right? And I think that's exactly what you want. And the perfect surrogate for ownership. You talked about Randy Lerner earlier. He yeah. hired Mike Holmgren to be a surrogate owner. It doesn't it, it just it it doesn't work with former coaches who can't stop being coaches and let their coaches coach. Coffin couldn't do it. Parcells couldn't do it. Holmgren couldn't do it. Dungy could do it. I, I hadn't thought of it. I hadn't thought of it. I may have to talk to some people and get them to give Tony Dungy a call and offer him some money. Not that I want to lose him as a colleague, but I think he'd be exactly what the Vikings need. We need to go. The show is over. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Have a good evening. Bye. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 